What is going on, guys? On today's deal case study, we are here with our Instant Investor member, Otto Kin. And oh, man, I'm super excited to have you on the show. You have been one of our rising stars in the program this year, and you have been doing some major deals. So I'm super excited to dive into this one. So appreciate you going on the show, man. Right. And uh, just, I guess, people like a two-second overview about uh, where you're from and what kind of deals you do. Yeah, from North Dakota. Not a lot of us out here, not a lot of operators. And I've done, I mean, kind of everything. Right now, going all into wholesaling, I mean, that's been the best thing for me, so. Awesome. And uh, I'm going to retract what you said. And you are in a heavily saturated market and everyone should definitely <laughs> yeah, stay away from North Dakota. But uh, to be fair, I do think that if you weren't there, it would be a very hard market to get started in because it seems like a lot of your deals are kind of like reputation based and they want to, yeah. you know, shake hands and meet up and go to breakfast and you're always going out there and getting stuff done. Yeah, for sure. Awesome, man. So cool. Really appreciate you coming on the show. So this is your first time hearing a deal case study. How this works is we're going to do a deep dive on a real deal that was done by a real investor. And we ask the same four questions here on every one of these episodes so that we can get a nice thorough look into what exactly the deal consisted of and what your deals can look like to you if you take action and start putting it in the work. So to start, first question, what kind of property was this? Yeah, so this is a single family home, had been vacant for quite a few years. It's uh, four bedrooms, two and a half bath, and you could tell it's been vacant for a while as soon as you walk. Pretty rough. Okay, awesome. So second question, how did you find this deal? So this one came in from a batch of mailers that went out in May. It was high equity, absentee, out-of-state owner. And it was just kind of an inbound lead from that direct mail campaign in May. Perfect. High equity, absentee, but you can't find any deals from that list, Auto. That list is far <laughs> too saturated. And there's no deals to be found there, so you shouldn't waste your money. Yep, exactly. <laughs> so, all right. So what kind of seller was this? What was kind of the persona. I imagine if it was a vacant property, high owner, absentee, I can kind of imagine. But uh, give us a little more details there. Yeah. So this is somebody who they've owned the property for like 30 years. They used to live in Minot. Mm -hmm. This part of the state is like highly transient. So there's a lot of people in and out of the area. They kind of like all of their kids grew up at this house. But 20 some odd years ago, after everybody kind of moved out, they went down to North Carolina. And every once in a while, it would kind of like bebop back and forth between North Dakota and North Carolina. Mm. By the time that, you know, my mailer had hit them, they had just gotten to the point where they had played around with the idea of relocating back to the area because they really liked North Dakota. But they were elderly at this point. They didn't want to deal with the snow. And they were like, well, came out a good time. Let's just sell the thing. That's kind of the persona of this one. You know, they just, cool. they were ready to get rid of it. Super exhausted landlord that had been trying a bunch of stuff. And at the end, they just, you were in the right place at the right time. And when they made the decision, because you've been marking consistently over a long period of time, you were there right in front of them to do the deal. So perfect. That's what it's all about. Awesome. So let's get the full story of the deal. We want to talk numbers. We want to talk challenges that you face. We want to talk about like, you know, any speed bumps or super fun and exciting things that you discovered along the way. So they'd called in early May. So I mean, just probably a couple of days after the mail had hit and the intake call was like 15 minutes long and it was just, no, uh, it just, it was a couple months into me dealing with the, with the inbound and off market. It was kind of, 
not necessarily painful to listen to, but it was just a lot of stuff that I've improved on since that point in time. But yeah, you know, the gist at the time was, hey, I have this house, I want to sell it. And I was on the road. I had no idea really what kind of a deal it was. Um, he had described the house to me and he said, I'm going to be back up in the area in July. And this was in May. And I said, okay, well, when you're in the area, let's make sure that we connect so that we can get you an offer and, and get this thing figured out. So I got back home. I looked at it, pulled up on like the tax assessor's website, saw that it was, you know, a nice size house. It was tax assessed for 200000 And so my thoughts were, I had it in my head, like 150 or something along those lines. I followed up with him about a month later or a couple of weeks later as we were getting closer to July to say, hey, are you still coming out here? Are we still going to meet to walk through this place? And he's like, yeah, yeah, no, I'm thinking it's going to be the 10th. And I said, okay. So I wrote it down and I set like five reminders that I'd go out and meet this guy on the 10th. (laughs) And the chaos of the 4th of July weekend goes through. And the beginning of that week, I called him. I don't think he picked up the first couple of times. And so I, um, like it was getting closer to, to the 10th. I tried him again and he was like, yep, you know, I'm still going to be out there. Still love to meet you out there, you know, committed to it. When the 10th came, I went out and I met him and here he had driven all the way, had like a really short timeline. He was only going to be up here for like two days. And this is from like North Carolina. He drove all the way up there just to meet with you. In North Carolina. He just drove all the way through. I remember him telling me that he stopped like once to take a bathroom break and he just kept going. He was just, he was an old school truck driver and he was just like northbound and down. (laughs) We met at the house and I remember kind of thinking like, I couldn't imagine if this guy put that amount of trust into somebody who wasn't really in it or didn't really follow through with their commitments. Yeah. Because imagine driving, I, I think it was like 36 hours for him. To get there so and across like, the freaking country. Yeah, just yeah. have somebody blow him off or whatever. He needed to like stop and just see how the house was doing because it's just been sitting vacant. He had a neighbor who was kind of like overseeing things for him, but right. I mean, it's still a vacant house. But we kind of, I mean, we sat and talked for a while, but w- when we went through to actually walk the thing, the first thing that I noticed, so it's a flat roof. And in North Dakota, if there's a flat roof, that means that you're going to get a mountain of snow that just sits on top of this flat roof. Yeah. And for him, the living room. Midwest snow too, so it's really heavy. Yeah, exactly. So what had happened was it was like a rubber roof. And by the time I'd gone up to see from the roof, it wasn't that bad. But down below in the living room, the entire ceiling was like caving in. Just because, yeah, it's like a probably big wallow, I would imagine. Yeah, and so when water has nowhere else to go, it'll just like take the le- path of least resistance. <laughs> so it had gone in through these little holes in the tar patch, whatever, and so that it caused everything to kind of cave in. Going into the basement, there were some other pretty funky things going on with like the water lines. The water had been disconnected from like the city main and all this other stuff. Uh, there was black mold growing. Nice. And I remember kind of thinking at the time, we had just been going through it on like a really nasty flip that had cost way too much money. We were way over budget. And so as I was walking through it with this guy, I was like, my budget just started like going higher and higher in my head. I was like, oh man, and I don't have a good contractor. This is going to be way too expensive. How did he feel about it? Like, was he shocked at this condition or did he already kind of know it was going to be this way? He kind of knew it, but 
as we were walking through it, I just kind of picked out some of the things, not trying to like, not trying to tear it down, but just like bring the reality of like your ceiling is caving in. If we don't do something about it, like this is going to be a bigger problem. It was funny because where I had it in my mind, like 150 going in, by the time we had gone through the whole thing, came back up, we're in his living room. I was like, this is going to be, I'm probably at $80,000 just because there's so many things that we need to do to this house. And he was kind of like, I think he was in that 150 ballpark too. Yeah. And so he was kind of shocked. He was like, 80. Oh, I don't know. And so he kind of talked about everything. I told him my thoughts, like roughing contractors are expensive. Is that time of year where like you just, you couldn't find anybody at a good price. So we talked through it and I was like, well, I'm no expert. And by all means, if you want to talk to some other folks and get some other opinions, like you're, you're welcome to do so. And I was like, I'm kind of at this price, but let me tell you what, like, I'll go home, I'll do my homework, I'll make sure that, you know, my budget's tight on this. And um, we'd sat and visited for like four hours at his house. That's how deals go in the Midwest, though, man. Yeah. You guys are so friendly, just just hanging out, chatting. Yeah, I, I, like, I'm trying to think of some of, the, some, some of these markets, like you go down to Florida, or like you go like the Northeast. If you're talking to any seller for four hours, probably because you're in court, you don't have choice. <laughs> like things are getting weird real fast. Yeah. It was good though. I mean, it was, it was solid rapport to the point where when I finally got back home, I ran my numbers, I had offered 80 and after I ran my numbers again and like really padded that budget, cause I was just nervous at this point from this other project we were doing, I was like, shoot, I need to be at 70,000, 80 is too much. And <laughs> <laughs> so I called him the next day. I called him because he was only going to be there for one more day and he's going back to North Carolina. And I was like, Hey, I look back at the budget. I'm going to be honest with you. It actually came back worse. It looks like I would need to be at 70,000, but I'm going to honor the fact that I told you 80 in person and I'm that that's just going to remain my number. And I think he definitely appreciated that. And he's like, okay, well, um, he was going to talk it over with his daughter. And um, it was like a couple hours later, they called back and they're like, well, let's see if we can meet somewhere in the middle. And where his thoughts were originally 150, I was thinking somewhere in the middle is probably like 110. And I don't know that I'm going to be able to go that high. And he's like, could you do 85? And I was like, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right, sure. (laughs) So the next day I met with him that morning before he had gone back home and shook his hand at the title company, went under contract. We didn't close it, sign around or anything, but just got everything, got keys from him. So I could get a lockbox on the door and that was July, second week of July. And so we were set to close the second week of August. Mm-hmm. And as soon as we were under contract, I just pretty much got to work sending it out to, I mean, I had like four buyers and um, pretty much all of them. So yeah, no. the whole market. Yeah. And no, just because they had other projects going on, like it wasn't good timing for them. And all their numbers were at 75. Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> 70, Yeah. I remember I ended up just calling some contractors that I knew mm-hmm. and this one was really interested in it. So he went out and he took a look at things. His mom's like a realtor. And so he comes back and he was like, well, you know, everything looks really good. I definitely want to try this. He wants to kind of start his hand at, at investing. And so he had offered me 127 and seven. <laughs> Do you have any idea where you were at that point? You were just like fired out that number. No, he had no idea. Well, and I I can't remember. I mean, I steered him that direction. I steered him high because I 
I think we were on a coaching call like close to that time where you had said, yeah. um, just because you would take it at, I don't remember how exactly it went, but just because you would take it doesn't mean that you shouldn't try to negotiate higher. You should always expect other people are going to negotiate with you. Right. Right. You know, it's just like if you're trying to sell something on Facebook Marketplace, you know how that goes. Everyone comes in and low balls you. <laughs> Buyers are going to kind of do the same thing. And also one of the big things to realize is that if you're doing this full time, your numbers are going to be different than somebody who does like one flip a year or one flip in their life. Yeah. They're going to be willing to walk away with a lot less money because they're going to, you know, do the experience. They're going to want that experience, especially if they're a contractor and they're going to be doing the work themselves. That's a whole other ballgame. Right. Yeah, that's exactly it. I think that's kind of how it went. You know, I had it in my mind, obviously anything over... 20,000 was huge. So I was hoping to get a hundred. And so mm-hmm. my thoughts were, I was going to push for 140 just because I think prior to this, I had gotten some really solid comps at an ARV closer to like 230, 240. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of the time too, where I realized that my budget may not necessarily be the same as somebody else's. And that's where yep. in talking to this contractor, realizing how much cheaper he could do it for yeah, it all just kind of aligned. And so, yeah, being at 127, we had a deal, we set it up. I had them get the contract signed $5,000 down, but I remember still kind of having to baby them through the process. Yep. I think that they were having a hard time lining up the financing for it. Like they didn't have the cash for it. So then they had to work with a lender, but they were working with like a local lender. And so it all ended up working out well going through. I remember talking to Dan for the transactional funding. Yeah. Because I actually used your guys's Sir Lens a lot, which is an awesome name that I love. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's our lending business that we have exclusively for Instant Investor members. That was a super cool experience in just like working with a yeah. private lender. That was my first time being able to work with him and the title company, getting to see how that all worked. That actually set me up for later on. Now I have a private partner who does all of my deals with me and... Yes. You know, that experience with Dan coming into the closing allowed me to figure out what that looks like, you know, as we begin to navigate other deals now. But yeah, this was cool. I mean, it was the highest revenue deal that I've done to date. Yeah. Ended up netting 42000 Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Probably 40000 after uh, the um, transactional funding costs. Mm-hmm. But nice, man. I mean, that that's a great deal. And that was Pretty early on too, I think, because you were still start, you were starting to get some real momentum. Yeah. So if I remember right, that that sort of teed you up to really start leaning into stuff to round out the year. And since then, you've just been getting after it. Yeah. It it was my experience is going into it. My first batch went out in January, and I remember you telling me that it takes really like give it three four months in order to see some sort of like results. <laughs> and the first two deals that I did, those came through in March. And so it was <laughs> January, February, March. That was three months. I was like, oh, okay. Yep. That works. There you go. And well, yeah. this this May batch was the exact same thing. It, that batch of Baylor's <laughs> went out May 1st and we closed August. So yeah, I think that's one of the hardest things for people trying to get into this business is just that patience and going through it and doing the consistent work over that period of time. So it's uncomfortable, you know, especially when you're paying that bill for your marketing and you don't know when the money's going to come back. But if you're committed to it, you do it consistently enough, eventually you can start to see like that pattern about what exactly the, you know, closing timeline is going to be. And the best thing too, is that once you've done it a ton, 
you now have like pieces of your business that are out there forever and you'll start to get deals that, you know, you mailed six months ago and finally just called you for the first time. Yeah. And that's just going to be a recurring pattern here pretty much forever as long as you continue marketing. Yeah. I know one thing that I've learned since then, my mailings have been like prior to this kind of sporadic and now it's been very consistent. And Mm -hmm. since I've had that month-to-month consistency, I've seen the lead flow remain very consistent. Awesome. I actually, I noticed a lot of people in the group saw leads go down over like the Thanksgiving time period. Mm -hmm. I went up. Yeah. I've been averaging 30 to 40 leads. I had 70 leads through November. Oh, wow. And so I'm still kind of getting through that. That's interesting. Do you have any idea why that was? You know, I'm not sure. I, I, I have to look back and see if I did something different in my map. Actually, I had my VA send out that batch <laughs> and I just kind of vetted it. <laughs> so I wonder yeah, right. if maybe something was, maybe maybe we just let loose on a bunch of mobile homes that I didn't filter out, but it was yeah. cool. I mean, it was still, I like to see that uptick, so. Nice, man. Yeah, it's probably good to do a little audit, Jeff, for getting it out. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, well, Auto Buddy, appreciate you sharing that deal. Congrats on success. So that's $40,000 in, you know, realistically like a month of work, but it was three months in the making. That's uh, it's not a bad little payday right there at all. Yeah. But awesome, man. So cool. Well, appreciate you coming on the show. And you guys, that is what a real deal looks like. You know, so many sort of textbook things there. He had a highly distressed property. He had a motivated individual that had probably been marketed to before by other people, but Otto, because he'd been marketing consistently, was in the right place at the right time. And then at the end of it, he found a hungry buyer who wanted to buy a deal, was willing to pay a premium for it because it fit his criteria and because Otto was willing to walk him through the purchase process and make that go very well. As a result, he made the average salary in the United States in a couple months. So not a bad kick at all. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate you for coming on the show. Yeah. And you guys, if you like this deal case study, then you should check out the Instant Investor Program and you could potentially come on here and talk about a deal as well that you closed as part of being a member. So anyways, everybody, thanks so much for listening and we'll talk to you all next week.